Back we go to Romans chapter 12 this morning, to the same passage we considered last week, Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. May I uh, say, as you're turning to it and remind you that we started last week by saying that there are interwoven in this passage a couple of major uh, strands of teaching about the Christian life. Actually, they are more than a couple, but we'll take up just two of them. Last week, it was God's commandments concerning living with your enemies. Curiously, Paul weaves into this same paragraph instructions on how to live with your brothers. That is to say, with your brothers and sisters in the church. To Romans chapter 12, then we go, but first to prayer. Father, as has already been prayed, we continue to ask that you will speak. For your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, perhaps it is not so strange after all that Paul should interweave here teaching about living with your enemies and living with your brothers. Alas, it is sometimes difficult to distinguish one from the other. Some of the worst treatment that Christians suffer is not at the hands of their enemies, but at the hands of their very brothers and sisters, people who are ostensibly anyway, their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Some of the deepest betrayals Some of the most hurtful and even malicious acts are suffered by Christians not out in the world at the hands of outright enemies, but right within the very walls of what should be a place of oneness and harmony, even safety in the church. And the difficulty of discerning enemies from brothers goes all the way back to the beginning. Remember Cain and Abel, brothers, both worshiping God, both from all appearances, Christians, we might call them, certainly, yet one brother rises up in jealous rage and kills the other. And brothers have been clubbing one another ever since. You've probably heard the saying that the church is the only army that shoots its own. 
And that would be very funny if it were not so devastatingly accurate. And it may be especially true in our day and place. A place and time such as ours in which we do not face terrible persecution at the hands of enemies, the likes of which would cause us, force us to unite the more. In the absence of serious conflict with enemies outside, we begin turning on one another inside. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has for us here some very important instruction concerning life within the church, how we must live together with our brothers. Three of them stand out in particular. The church must be marked by sympathy, by harmony, and by humility. If we will be a church that conforms to the scriptures, if we will be brothers and sisters to one another that the scripture has called us to be, that Christ has called us to be, that he has died and shed his blood to make us to be, it will require from us very careful attention to cultivating within and between us, everyone, sympathy, harmony, and humility. First, dear flock, we must develop more and more an attitude of sympathy. The exercise, I should say, of sympathy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I suppose it sounds almost cliche, but rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, if you will take these commandments seriously, require a deep commitment and a high personal cost. True sympathy is in no way a cheap nor easy thing. It means that we enter into each other's lives, messy and difficult as those lives often can be. True sympathy is costly, you see, because it involves your heart, not just your words. Sympathy means more than a shaking of hands and patting on the back to a fellow believer and saying, I'm sorry you have my sympathy. In the case of weeping, it means stopping and shedding a tear together with a brother or sister who is hurting. Sympathy by nature, by definition, cannot remain distant from a fellow Christian. It makes itself vulnerable by exposing its own heart, turning off the firewall, to use computer terminology, dropping the mask, Stopping your current task to engage your heart in what matters, what concerns your spiritual sibling in the Lord. Whether that matter is good or bad or happy or sad. Jesus, of course, is our perfect model in this as in everything. He knew how to sympathize in both ways, weeping and rejoicing. Remember that wedding at Cana. A day of rejoicing and feasting and gladness. It was a great party. But there was a crisis. A major faux pas on the part 
of the host. Remember what it was? He ran out of wine. Mary comes to Jesus and tells him about it. What's he do? Does he stand aloof? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's too bad. No. He enters into the rejoicing, committed to it. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Jesus provides wine, not just wine either, the best wine. And then send your mind to Bethany. Lazarus is dead. Sisters are weeping at the grave. Who shows up? Jesus, the stoic. Jesus, the untouched and untouchable. No. Look again. The sisters weep. And Jesus groans. He's moved deeply in his heart and greatly troubled in his spirit. He weeps He's moved again. This is true sympathy and it costs. Weeping means pain and sorrow and grief. Nobody looks for these things. They're not pleasant in the least. But as John Murray has it, our love for others will constrain in us the sorrow of heart which the providence of God meets out to our brethren in Christ. Now you should know this too about true sympathy. It's a surprising and yet commonplace observation that when it comes to rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, it is the former, not the latter, that proves the most difficult. Genuine rejoicing with those who rejoice, maybe a harder thing to do. Why? Well, just this. It is not our natural tendency to rejoice with others, particularly over those things that make us look lesser by comparison. Success in a brother's or sister's life often creates the particular temptation for us not to rejoice, in fact, quite the opposite, to covet, to be envious, to be jealous, even hateful toward that person. John, the golden-mouthed preacher Chrysostom, wrote about this passage centuries ago that, quote, it requires more of a high Christian temper to rejoice with them who do rejoice than to weep with them that do weep. For this nature itself fulfills perfectly, and there is none so hard-hearted as to not weep over him that is in calamity. But the other requires a very noble soul, so as not only to keep from envying, but even to feel pleasure with the person who is in esteem. Michael Phelps may have been able graciously to shake hands with the Frenchman whom he beat with his teammates in the Olympic 400-meter men's relay a couple of weeks ago. It would have been a much harder thing to do had the French beat his team. So it is harder to rejoice with those who rejoice 
But to this, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called by Christ himself. So we must develop more and more this true sympathy in the church between us. Second, we must also pursue more and more a true harmony in the church. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. I hardly have so few words ever expressed a greater task. The very history of the Christian church is, alas, a dismal testimony to the abysmal failure of brothers and sisters in the Lord to obey this simple yet so thoroughly demanding commandment. Last week I conveyed the idea from, to you from one of my commentaries that no exhortation places us under a greater demand than the one that says, bless those who persecute you. But after considering it, it seems to me that this one may be the more demanding of them. For whatever reason, relating no doubt to our fallen natures and to the spiritual warfare that continues even today, cultivating and then maintaining harmony in the church has proved a most difficult task and continuous struggle. Discord has marred the life of the church of every age, sometimes more, sometimes less, but always, it seems, to some degree. And this, my friends, should cause us deep, deep pain. This is the reason that we should sing for her, that is, for the church, my tears shall fall. There is nothing more disheartening, nothing more contrary to the very nature of the church than discord within the body of Christ. We've been praying on Wednesday evening at prayer meeting for the grand nephew of the Scholzes who received a kidney from his mother and has been struggling to regain his health ever since. And All along, acceptance of the new kidney by his body has been one of our main prayers. And it has been to me personally a great reminder of how all of the parts of the body must be in harmony with the others in order for that body to function properly. You know, when a a body begins fighting within itself, when it's rejecting an organ that's just been transplanted or when parts of the body and one function is is working against the other as in autoimmune disease people struggle and bodies become sidetracked and bodies even become non-functional people who struggle with organ rejection or autoimmune disease often find themselves bedridden and in the hospital their bodies as it were placed out of commission from within so it is in the church as soon as strife enters the good work of ministry of proclaiming the gospel even the highest Work of worshiping God in spirit and truth are seriously compromised. Breakdown and conflict within the body hinders, even prevents it from doing what it's called to do and from being what it's called to be. 
And of course, in terms of spiritual warfare, that's exactly the devil's plan. If he cannot attack the church from without, then he will sneak in and attack it from within. Plant a suspicion in one brother's mind about another. Let one brother hold a grudge against another. Let someone's feelings get hurt. These are some of the devil's favorite ploys. Fix and fester that suspicion, that grudge, that hurt, that offense, that impression on somebody's heart. And then spread those things around to a few more people of the brethren. How? With the most powerful organ in the human body. It is, says James, a small member, yet deadly. Remember, he writes in his letter that a great forest fire starts with one tiny flame. The tongue. The tongue is a, is a fire, he writes, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, he goes on to say, setting on fire the entire course of the life. That, dear flock, is the only, the only thing required to undo the harmony of a church. One, two sheep, setting little fires over here and over there with their tongues. And as with the recycling center that violently burned here in Owensboro on Friday, maybe you saw the smoke that was visible all over town. One little spark sets the whole mass into conflagration. Just why, brothers and sisters, we must stamp out that spark when it is just a spark, while it is a spark, a small flame. So I tell you, the next time someone comes to you, to tell you about so-and-so, about that other person, about what they did or didn't do, what they said or didn't say, or what they think that other person thinks. You know, for the sake of the church, you refuse. My friend, you absolutely refuse. Regardless of who's speaking to you, you refuse to hear. You put your fingers in your ears if you must. Politely tell that person, you don't think you should hear this. Whatever you must do, do not entertain the whisper when he comes to you. The way, the way the harmony of the church is undermined is through the use or rather misuse of the tongue. The harmony of this congregation hangs, literally hangs every day on that little organ that every one of you has right in his own mouth or hers. And then on two other little organs not far from it, your ears. With those three tiny organs, every single one of you has the power 
to undermine the harmony of this congregation. Every one of you. Or to enhance it. A whisperer, says the scripture, a whisperer separates close friends. Don't doubt the truth of the scripture here for one minute. Refuse to hear him. Do not allow that little flame on his or her tongue to spread to your ears. And if it makes it there, extinguish it before it makes it here to your tongue. If Sally comes to you to tell you about how Joe offended her, send her back to Joe. That's where the Lord says to go. If your brother offends you, go and point it out to him alone. Directly to Joe, not to Fred, not to Penny, not to Lou, to Joe. If Larry comes to tell you about an issue he has with Bob, don't even entertain it. Larry doesn't need to be talking to you about his issues with Bob. He needs to go to Bob. And if something is said about someone else to you that bothers you, that you simply cannot disregard and put out of your mind and put away, go to that person. But whatever you do, whatever you do, please don't, don't, don't repeat it to others. I tell you, dear flock, we could be ripped from the inside out. This congregation could be torn to shreds by nothing more than speaking and repeating words regardless of how true they technically may be. Don't doubt this for a minute. Every single church and the reputation of every single Christian is always but one rumor away from devastating ruin. One spark away from going up in flames. In other words, my dear brothers and sisters, learn to be fire extinguishers, fire retardants, not flammable substances. While others are disturbing or threatening to disturb the peace and harmony of the church, you be peacemakers. You set an example for others of the wisdom that stops a fire before it starts. Now, if possible, says verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. There will always be someone, there will always be someone who will not live at peace with you. Always there will be someone who is bent on holding grudges against you, who will not forgive you perhaps, will not rise higher than their own pettiness. There are those, yes, alas, even in the church who it seems are simply not happy unless they are unhappy. Some sheep are not content unless they have the fleece of another sheep between their teeth. That's the candid implication of the verse. Some people will not have peace with you. In the end, that's their problem. 
they're going to have to deal with God. But as for you, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You cannot change others. You can't. But by God's grace, you can change your own behavior and love your brothers and sisters, no matter how spitefully they might treat you, how recklessly they play with your reputation, no matter how little interest they take in showing love and living at peace, genuine peace with you, as far as it depends on you, Paul so realistically writes, Live at peace with them. It is a huge order. This is absolutely immense. I know that. And one that will demand much grace. But remember, God is a God of grace. And he will supply that grace to you when you seek it from him. And while you're praying for it from him, don't forget also to pray for them. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for peace. Pray for harmony in the church. Pray that we may all pursue more and more that sympathy that enters truly into one another's sorrows and joys and the harmony that lives lives together as brothers and sisters and they're under the same and with the same Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, in order to cultivate this sort of sympathy and this sort of harmony, Third, brothers and sisters, cultivate in your own hearts true humility. Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You see, true sympathy and genuine harmony, these are plants that can only grow in the soil of humility. In the arid soil of pride... Sympathy and harmony shrivel up, wilt, and die. But where there is real humility, congregations in which the members really do what we read together in Philippians a little while ago, that is, think of others more highly than themselves, there you find real sympathy and real harmony, and you find them in full and glorious bloom. People who think too highly of themselves never really sympathize with others. They condescend. They don't really live in harmony with others. They put on a hypocritical show. In the end, even their feigned sympathy and hypocritical harmony are really but service rendered to themselves. The people who think of others more highly than themselves... Well, they they don't have time to think about themselves. They have no interest in thinking about themselves. They've taken the mind of Christ that spends its time thinking of God first and then of the needs of others. They find that, that they sympathize, they weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice because the Christ of Cana and of Galilee lives in them. And they find harmony between themselves and others so terribly, vitally important, much more important than the petty differences 
on a thousand little matters because they have the mind of him who poured himself out in prayer to the Father. May they be one as we are one. Show me a congregation of people who are humble, people who think of others more highly than themselves, and I will show you a congregation of such sympathy and harmony as to be a foretaste of heaven itself. Never in such a church has it ever dreamed to say such things like that old verse, to dwell above with saints we love. Indeed, that will be glory to live below with saints we know. Why, that's a different story. Instead, in such congregations, the words of that hymn are sung in truth and without reservation. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above.